I love that. Well, welcome uh, to Christ Community. Uh, my name is Gabe Coyle. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the pastors here. And why don't we just begin with a word of prayer, shall we? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time we have to sing together, to remember together, to recenter ourselves on Jesus and his finished work on our behalf as we seek to follow you in all that we are for all that you are. And so, God, we say thank you, and we ask that you would guide us even now. Guide me as I open your word. Guide us together as a community as we seek to live out your word, and may you be honored and glorified in it all. We pray this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. 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 So it is Thanksgiving weekend, right? And what I love about Thanksgiving is that it offers one of the greatest of human phenomenons. What do I mean? Well, when, you're, when you finish eating a Thanksgiving meal and you do it right, right, there, there's, a, there's a situation that happens, like a feeling that occurs. You have to unbutton, right, that top button just in order to breathe. But then simultaneously, while you're doing that, or pants, you know, whatever, yeah. Uh, you, you have to look, you, you start looking out of the corner of your eye at that last deviled egg, you know? Uh, like you, when, when you eat a Thanksgiving meal and you do it right, you are simultaneously full and hungry. <laughs> and it, I don't think it happens any other time of the year, at least, well, maybe every holiday, but especially on Thanksgiving. And, and home, home is kind of like that, especially on the holidays, especially on the holidays. No matter how good your family, your home is, we end up aching and longing for something more. And that isn't to downplay the good times, but to highlight that even in the best of times, there are real gaps there. For me, growing up, my home around the holidays was full of a lot of joy with my mom, my sisters, and the presents were nice. Um, but simultaneously, with an absentee father, there was always this thought in the back of my mind that maybe he would call. Or maybe better yet, you know, you'd hear this noise on the front porch and you'd think that he would run through the front door and say, hey, I'm sorry I'm late. I'm sorry I wasn't there for the past couple Christmases, but I'm here. And so for me, home always comes, no matter what sort of images or feelings come to mind, it always is a mixed bag. And I know that's true for every single human being. Maybe for you, it's the nostalgia of Christmases in the past that will never be again. Maybe, just maybe, it's the, the thought of loved ones that are now lost, that have passed away. Or maybe it's the longing for, for loved ones who have run away to finally return home. Or maybe it's something altogether different where you just don't want to be alone again on the holidays. Or to see human beings alone on the streets another winter. Home is a mixed bag. It's bittersweet, even in the best of times. And the longer you live, the more that is pronounced, holiday after holiday after holiday, such that even in the best of times, we find ourselves still reaching for a home that's just outside of our grasp. And so this Advent season, we're going to do the unthinkable. Instead of just stuffing those feelings down um, and saying, look at all the great things, and let's just be grateful we're actually going to fan the flame of that desire. And we're going to remember, looking at the writings of the prophet Isaiah, 
of how God has promised to make a way for us to come home to the place where our hearts have longed to be finally, at last. But first, we're going to ask the question, why? Why do we even have these feelings, like these mixed emotions around home? How did we, in other words, how did we get here? If you would please turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. And when you turn there, we're going to come to find that the words that God spoke at a specific time to a specific people thousands of years ago are just as relevant to you and I today as they were the moment the prophet uttered them in the first place. So where do we find Israel? Let me give you a little context. Israel's home is a mess at this point in history. Those former glory days, if you think of like King David or King Solomon, those are long gone. This chosen nation, all that's left is basically this southern segment, which is is often called the kingdom of Judah. And there are no cities left save one, Jerusalem. All the other cities, all the rest of the landscape has been annihilated, destroyed by invading armies. And so... Israel looks and feels anything but like a promised land. So how did they end up here? Well, we need to see and we need to hear these first words of Isaiah's vision in Isaiah chapter 1. So would you please stand as we read together God's word. And the passage I'm going to read for us this morning is Isaiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of the Lord. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, right there at the end of verse 4, we notice something pretty interesting. And it's kind of hard depending on your translation. It, it reads utterly estranged. Literally, it means Israel turned their back, turned away, and began walking away from their God. This is like a child who was born and raised in an extraordinarily loving family and given everything that they need. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, they turn their back on their parents and treat them as if they're dead to them and begin to walk away. Israel has turned away from her God. And then when you get to verse 4, up there at the top, you find this word, ah. It's not like, ah. It's, ah. It's this, and some translations have the word, woe, as they translate it. This is the language of a funeral dirge. God, remember, these are the words of God coming through the prophet Isaiah. God is mourning this death march of his child, Israel, as she walks further and further and further from her home with God. And to make matters worse, she's completely oblivious. God says animals, 
intuitively understand their place in the world. But my children, Israel, is completely oblivious as to why she's incurred so much pain and so much heartache and so much turmoil. Now, my son is named Israel, and right now he's been doing something that drives Allie and me nuts, okay? Um, We'll get to a parking lot. He's three years old. We'll get to a parking lot, and then when we get out there, he just takes off. Like, we try to grab his hand, and we're like, Israel, look out, there's cars. You're going to die, you know? And he just turns around with this big smile on his face, laughing, completely oblivious that his life is at risk. And we've, you know, we've tried everything, you know? We try to grab his hands. We look like terrible parents in public. Don't you do that. We're going to, you know, fill in the blank. You know, like, don't, we're going to. We've tried the really serious conversation when he wakes up in the morning, when it's nice and calm. Hey, you could die. Um, (laughs) Or when he goes to bed at night, you might lose your life if you don't listen to mommy and daddy. Not because of us, because cars might not see you. We've tried everything, and we're trying to get this message across before it's too late, before something bad happens. Being a parent can be really fun. (laughs) sometimes. But here's the deal. When we come to Israel at this point, the nation of Israel, at this point in history, the bad thing has already happened. And the only city that is left in the whole landscape is Jerusalem. And, And you need to understand Jerusalem, Jerusalem is like a virtual ghost town. It's a shabby version of its former self at this point. Why? Because they do what human beings have done throughout history. Go back to me, go back to me. Go back to, with me to the very beginning of history, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And what do we find? When God makes the first human beings and he gives them the very breath of life, he gives them everything they need in like a perfect atmosphere. There's no room for complaint, right? It's the perfect atmosphere. He gives them everything and what do they do? They turn their back on him. They rebel, and so choose a life outside of Eden. And listen, every single one of us has followed in the footsteps of our forefather and foremother. I don't know if foremother is a a word. I've never heard anybody say it, but there it is. Of our ancestors. We've all done this. But we've left, and we've run away, and we've turned our backs on God like rebellious children with our life at risk. So let's go back to that question. How did we end up here? Why do, we, why do we have these mixed emotions around this broader concept of home? Well, the hard truth is that we ran away from home. And I know that's not the message we want to hear. The message we want to hear, the message that's in every article, and trust me, I've checked with Glamour, Huffington Post, all that. The message in every one of those articles about why we're alone for Christmas, the message is it's not your fault, you do you, but it is our fault. The pain we feel amidst over the holidays, has to first. It has to start with us. We ran away from home. And I know that's not the message we like to hear. We so much quickly, quicker want to point the finger at God or at someone else. But we have to start with ourselves. This is the message that's reiterated over and over and over and over for 39 chapters of the long prophecy of Isaiah. Now, there's this old story I heard from an old, uh, older gentleman, uh, a neighbor of mine a long time ago. It was an old story of a, an older couple. Um, they're driving down a back road, right? And they drive past this car with this young couple all snuggled up next to each other. 
And the wife looks at her husband, you know, across the seat in the pickup truck. She's on the far side. He's on the, behind the wheel. And she says, oh, honey, remember when we used to be like that? The old husband doesn't even look at her, but through clenched teeth just says, I haven't moved. <laughs> Set that in. Okay, anyway, that was, it, it works, I guess, for some folks. It got me. Uh, I mean, I won't use the second service. Who knows? But, <clears throat> but here's the message that we see in Isaiah. God hasn't moved. We're the ones who ran away from home. We're the ones who turned our backs on God. We're the ones who moved east of Eden. And home has never been the same since. But there's more to the story. You see, if, if that was it, life would be a lot simpler, wouldn't it? There's so much more to the story and that not only did we run away from home, we've planted ourselves in alien territory and that we've put our roots down in religion. We put our roots down in religion. What is religion? Religion is where we hijack really good mantras and rituals. Okay, they're, they're good. We hijack them in order to assuage bad feelings rather than to deal with bad actions and to reconcile broken relationships. In other words, it's extraordinarily easy in religion to keep our distance from God and still feel really good about ourselves. We see this actually play out for, with Israel. Israel was given the sacrifices and the offerings in the temple as a God-ordained pathway for forgiveness. And in these sacrifices and in these offerings, they were to highlight the severity of decisions and actions that were not in line with God's good design and also the high cost for actually pursuing restoration and fellowship with a holy God. You see, worship in the temple was meant to be a transformative effect both in our relationship with God and how we saw every other part of our lives. But Israel, as you follow along in chapter one, Israel replaces worship with Religion. And all of these mantras become a place where they're trying to assuage their guilty feelings but not needing to change their lives. And so they'll raise their hands when they gather together on Sabbath, together in the temple, and worship their God while simultaneously justifying their stubborn injustice throughout the rest of the week. Their worship was replaced with religion, which was just a way to garner God's approval rather than to submit to his design. A place to assuage feelings rather than to invite God into our lives to change actions. And God says, I'm sick and tired of your hypocrisy. We see this. Jump with me down to verse 15 of chapter 1 of Isaiah. Listen to what God says when it's just about assuaging feelings rather than whole life transformation. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Now we know from other passages throughout Scripture, and specifically within Isaiah, 
that those in every single layer of administration there in Israel were actually about bribery and oppressive measures in order to disenfranchise the poor and the vulnerable from the one single, the small, meager resources they had to survive. They would do everything they could to extort the last dime from the widow's tired fist, and then they would gather together and raise their hands and say, God bless our people. They wanted God to just warm their hearts rather than to change their lives. Another way to put it is that they gathered together so they felt at home with themselves, at peace, content with who they were rather than with who God was calling them to be. And God said he'd had enough. And so often this is our story too. We want our cake and we want to eat it too. And so we think if we go to enough political rallies or we go to church enough times or we give enough money to that cause or to that church, then we can finally, you know, comfort ourselves or, or secure ourselves from actually following God individually or collectively and costly ways that he's actually calling us to change. We think if we just do a couple things, we'll assuage God and then we can keep the rest of our lives to ourselves. But that's not the way that God works, and that's not the way that worship works. That's the way that religion confuses us and b- makes us believe that it works. And what happens when we really start to live that way, when we're just trying to feel good about ourselves, rather than seek God's good for us and for his world? Well, then, in the words of the New Testament letter from James, religion will make a house of indifference. Or we may pray zealously for those who don't have food, but we'll never actually engage to feed them. We may be brokenhearted over an education system that's fragmented in Kansas City, but it'll never change our schedules. We may see the other from afar, but we'll never step out to embrace. Racism may disgust us, but we'll never speak out against us, against it. And on and on the list will go. We'll feel extraordinarily enraged and even feel really good about our rage, but our actions will never change. And the reason is because when we turn our back on the Father, the family is always the one to pay. You can't turn your back on the Heavenly Father and expect to somehow be able to adequately care for your brothers and sisters. Instead, we will far too often create systems of increased oppression and destruction, and you don't want to turn your back on the family, right? Not bad. Not bad. Thanks, Charlie. So where do we go from here? Where does that leave us? If this is why we're here, first, because we ran away, And then secondly, we put our roots down in religion to keep our distance from God, but still feel really good about ourselves. Can we ever make our way home? And if we try to make our way home, are we going to be welcome to finally find our home with God again? And what's so fascinating is what Isaiah sees when he sees God in this exact moment. Look with me, Isaiah chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Listen to what God says. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, though 
They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What's so astounding is that even though we're the ones who ran away from home, even though generations of human beings have done everything they can to distance themselves from God, even though Israel has done untold injustice, where do we find God? But God is waiting for our return. What a scandalous picture. What an outrageous, I mean, it's genuinely, when you think about what Israel was doing in that moment and what we so often do to God and to one another, it's an atrocious picture in many regards because we want God to bring down the hammer of justice as long as it doesn't land on us. Instead, when we go looking for the Father, Scripture points us again and again back to the table. A picture of a father when we come home, seated at a table, food strewn about, a patient father, willing and ready, reason together there in verse 18, to argue it out, not have a nice little gentle conversation where I'm going to make you feel really good about yourself where you are. No, let's have a real conversation about genuine confession, about where you're broken, because I want to be there for you. This is like an intervention moment for God where he says, enough is enough. You're destroying yourself and I can't stand watching you die before me. So will you have genuine repentance? Are you ready for real change? Because I'm ready to forgive. And isn't that what Jesus portrays when he paints the picture of the Father in the New Testament? You see, the Old and the New Testament are seamless. It's not like there's this God of the Old Testament and this God of the New Testament. No, it's the same God working throughout history. And Jesus says, you know what, you know what God the Father is like? It's like one of the sons goes up to his dad and he says, you know what, I wish you were dead. Meaning, I want my inheritance now. And I don't want to help you out on the farm anymore. I just want to go live my life. Can you just give me what I deserve my inheritance now as if you were already dead? Thank you very much. And he goes and he sets up his life in another faraway city. Until finally he squanders everything he was given, everything he was entrusted, and he realizes, and he, and he begins to hunger for the place that he left. He realizes that there's no place like home. And so finally, with nothing to give, nothing to bring, the son begins to make his way home. And where do we find the father? Waiting, longing, and then running <laughs> to embrace his son, to love his son, to celebrate how much more now in the gospel when we realize that God the Father loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to go to the cross, to die our death, to pay our penalty for our rebellion, and then to invite us back to the table. Not to just make us feel good about ourselves, but to show us the life we long to live so we stop destroying one another and so dismantling his creation. This is the picture that we're given of God. God is waiting for us to return. And the reality is, is it's in our hands. He's waiting for us to turn. This is what often that word repent means. 
It doesn't mean just saying where we're broken. It means stop running from him, turn around and embrace him. It's a turning of ways. But listen, if you don't, if you don't turn around, if you don't stop doing evil, cease to do evil and learn to do good, if you don't stop running from him and turn instead to the Father, don't be surprised when your prayers aren't answered. If you don't, don't be surprised when church just feels really exhausting and Sunday mornings feel extraordinarily tangential. That's the way religion works. It exhausts you. It exhausts everybody. And don't, if you don't turn around, don't be surprised at how much enraged you are at other people for not doing anything when you're not doing anything yourself. It's extraordinarily hypocritical and it'll destroy you from the inside out. But if you do, if you do turn to him, beware. <laughs> because God isn't satisfied with just simple speech. He doesn't just want your words He wants genuine confession and repentance. He wants your whole life. He wants those areas of your life you really wish you could keep to yourself. And he wants wants us to not just wash our hands like Pilate does of Jesus, but he he wants us to give them to him so that he can employ them, so that he can actually teach us what it means to live and to love the way he's called us to, the way he's designed us to. And so love our brothers and sisters with justice and equity and that can only happen when we are genuinely and fully reconciled to the Father rather than just confusing ourselves with religion. He wants us to come home. And I want to say first off, you know, in the midst of this text and hearing the the heavy tone that Isaiah brings, that God brings to Israel in that moment, I'd be remiss if I didn't also say thank you to you as a church. You know, you, you, you are a church that not only longs to be washed in the blood, but to carry out the practices and precepts of Jesus, to love our neighborhood and our community back to life, driven by the gospel. And I want to say thank you. I mean, for example, just this last Sunday, we are able to collect 46 Thanksgiving bags. These are robust. These aren't just the Thanksgiving meal, but this had food for the whole weekend and even some cleaning supplies. 46 bags in collaboration with Westside Housing and Primitivo Garcia Elementary School here in Westside. Because of our collaboration, because of what God is doing through his church convened, 46 families were able to enjoy the holidays rather than ask the question where they were going to get food. Because of your generosity, in ways that you may not even realize it, right? We even celebrated $10,000 were able to go to needy families in California amidst the raging fires. That's something we can only do together in collaboration as we seek to be generous as a church together. Last week, somebody bought 10 coats and said, hey, they were on sale. Gabe, can we store these at the church so that when people walk in during the cold season, you can give them a coat because it's really hard to just throw coats to people out on the street, but instead we need a community to have a space where people are welcome. We had someone come today who was able to get a free coat because of the generosity of the church. They saw an opportunity and sought to love the family as they walk in the door. So thank you. And hear me, we're collecting hats and gloves and scarves for the older children at Primitivo Garcia this winter, so this December. So keep going at it. Listen, all of this is just the tip of the iceberg. When I think about what God is calling us to here as a church together. Can you imagine a world 
Will we turn back to God with everything? And what Isaiah saw here in our passage of a repentant family, what that would look like here in Kansas City, it would at the very least look like Christians who not only were extraordinarily dis- disturbed by the, the, the turbulent education system and the, the really unstable education system we have in Kansas City, but people here at Christ Community would be mentoring and volunteering with the kids at Crossroads Academy or Primitivo Garcia. It would look like Christians who are not only proclaiming the forgiveness we have exclusively in Jesus, but would be actively engaged with ex-felons through mentoring and processes to help their second chance to re-engage society and the workforce to have the best first foot forward. It would look like Christians who are not just enraged with abortion and the human dignity issue that that is, but would actually decrease the abortion rates because they're coming alongside of unwed mothers through our partner advice and aid and helping support many families who have chosen to go about foster care and adoptive care, which I've seen happen here in the downtown campus as well. Christians, man, they wouldn't just be enraged uh, or long rather for racial integration, but would be desirous for genuine racial reconciliation and the honesty about the unique situation we have here in the United States and the call to the church to be engaged in those conversations and relationships as a community. You see, the world outside would not just see a church that confesses, but a church that's repentant, a church that's come home rather than put down its roots in hollow religion. And then they would glorify our Father in heaven when they see our good deeds and ask questions about King Jesus who's leading the charge. And don't we want that? So this Advent season, those four weeks, for those the four weeks as we look forward to the birth of Jesus on Christmas morning, why don't you come home? God is waiting for you to come home. Your church, your brothers and sisters are waiting for you to come home. Our city is waiting for you to come home rather than just isolating yourself in either your own family unit or your own individual life and caring exclusively for your own needs. Imagine what could be. Come home. Meet him at the table this morning. Meet him at the table this Advent. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that out of your great love for us, you don't want to just speak good to us, but you want to challenge the death in our lives like a good parent. May we as individuals and may we as a church together not continue to lean into a rebellious nature and act as if you're dead to us, but instead embrace you and the life you long to give us in Jesus. May it not just assuage feelings of guilt, but lead to life transformation. May we submit to your design rather than just garner for your favor to our design. We can only do that by the power of your spirit. God, we long for that. Help us. Help us to return to you, to return to each other, and to so bring glory to your great name. We pray all this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the spirit in these very words that we utter. Amen, amen, and amen.